the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to our first program of the new year. Imagine it's been, well, I haven't talked to you since last year. I know that's a cheap joke, but it seems like it's been a long time. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program that hasn't changed over the years. It's dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything going on in your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call us toll-free by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're in your car, especially on this wet, cold, miserable day out there, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, Just hit one button. It says call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. All you have to do is call. We'd love to have your calls and questions. Uh, Because it's Wednesday now, I know it doesn't feel like Wednesday. Paul and I have been arguing about whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Um, all day yesterday, and so today feels like Monday to me. Uh, But because it's Wednesday, we're going to have our first Wednesday night Old Testament study of the year tonight. And as it happens, we're starting a brand new book uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah has probably five of the most important chapters in in all of our Bible. And tonight, uh, I'm going to be talking about one of them, Isaiah chapter 1. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. If you are home and want to live stream it, it's calvarysa.com. We will be starting at 7 o'clock. Hope you had a great and a safe New Year, of course. If you're listening to me, I'm sure your New Year was safe. Now we're ready to get back to normal, and all of that works very, very well for me. Um, I told you last week, uh, I was sharing briefly a message that I did on uh, uh, the Friday before New Year's, um, just the, the 10 things that the Lord put on my heart for our church here at Calvary Chapel, and I wanted to share it with you. 10 things to help 2019 be your most Jesus year ever. I'll review very quickly the first five. It was look in, not out. Uh, Don't worry about what other people are doing or saying. Uh, You're the only one that you can fix. It's not your husband, not your wife, not your boss, not your kids, uh, not the person that drives you crazy. Always look in instead of out. The second was to get serious about pursuing holiness, personal holiness. Uh, We can't pretend to be Christians without being focused on personal holiness. Uh, The third thing was learn to be content wherever you are with whatever you have instead of always worrying about what other people have or what what you're missing out on, at least from your perspective. uh, Learn the secret of being content. 
the fourth was to commit to learning and living doctrine. It's very important that we understand that doctrine matters a great deal. So a focus on doctrine. And then the fifth one was stop judging others. Instead, uh, connect it with number one, um, look in instead of out. So he, th- those are the quick ones. Now let me get through the, the last five and then we'll open up for questions. And by the way, I'll um, uh, interrupt whatever we're doing here if a phone call comes in. So you don't have to worry about not calling now. Um, the sixth one is to get healthy, to stay healthy. I tell our church here all the time, you can't serve Jesus if you're dead. You can't serve Jesus if you're if you don't have the energy or the strength. So make 2019 a year where you're committed to being healthy. Exercise. Eat smarter, eat healthier, learn to say no if you if you eat too much, but get healthy and stay healthy and see that God will use you. All we have to do is be available. And if we are, God will then enable us to be healthy. The seventh thing to make 2019, this is very practical, very tangible, to make 2019 a, a much better year than before is to serve and give. Remember, it's about others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of us, we have it just the other way around. But remember, our ministry is to benefit others. And that's why we serve. We don't go to church expecting to be served. Instead, we go to serve others. Jesus, what about me and what about today? Asking for those divine appointments every time you go. Paul says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So give. Not because you feel guilty if you don't. Serve or give because it's a privilege to do so. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's simply no way to thrive in our walk with Jesus without a real commitment to serving. So that's seven. Eight, and this is equally important, is to have joy daily. Forget about happiness, but have joy every day. No matter what's going on in your life, find a way, find a reason to be filled with joy. Again, I'm not talking about faking it. I'm talking about living with joy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says to be joyful, joyful always. Now, always includes those times when there's really difficult things going on in your life. As we begin a new year, I'm a big momentum person. And because we so easily fall in the trap of, of old habit patterns, it's easy to fall right back into those, those old I'm not going to be joyful. I'm focused on other things. Decide to be joyful. Make it your purpose to be joyful. Jesus said the way to do it may not make sense to us, but he said, to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me. So how can we have joy? Well, the psalmist writes that in his presence is the fullness of joy. If somebody comes to you and, and tells you, oh, I just don't have any strength to be joyful, remember the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's in Nehemiah. So purpose in your life to have joy. Can I add one thing to this for all of you out there? Be a person that other people want to be around. A lot of us, me included, have no problem being alone. I could be with other people and not say a word. The problem is I'm not very fun. You know, when Paula and I go places together, she's always the fun one. People are always around her. They're always laughing, and I'm kind of being quiet. So purpose in your heart in 2019 to be a person that other, people's in, other people enjoy being around. Have joy daily. Ninth, and it's a hard one because I'm going to tell you, never quit. Stand firm. Be immovable. Be immovable doctrinally. Be immovable in your commitment to pursuing Christ. Stand firm no matter what's going on around you, no matter how bleak the circumstances might appear. 
Never, ever quit, not for one day. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run our race with perseverance, the race set out for us. Here's even a harder one. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. One of the real benefits of never quitting is that you find yourself more like Jesus in character. And when that's the case, your your life is just filled with hope. And of course, we all need hope. So never, ever quit. If you think, it's I'm, I'm about to quit, it's always too soon to quit. Never quit. You know, and this is something I think is true for a lot of us uh, after a difficult year. We get to the point where we just don't think we can take it anymore. Well, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we've had 23 of those difficult years. Now, they've been wonderful years, but but they've been difficult. Money has always been a huge, huge thing for us. Because everything we do is free. It's just like it's always a grind. And there's been so many times when the enemy would try to discourage me and get me to quit. If I would have quit 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago, if I would have quit, I'd have missed out on so much. So much. So never, ever quit. And then finally... And this is the one that anybody who knows me always expects. Just be with Jesus. Not on Sundays, not on Wednesdays or Fridays or whenever it is that you go to church. But just be with Jesus. Wake up with him. Talk to him all day long. When I was sharing this that Friday night um, with our church, I could say to them, you know, you expect this one to be a part of this list, but it's it's one that see people look at me like, I don't know what you mean, and yet it's the simplest of all of them. Just be with Jesus. All of the other ten things that will make 2019 a better year, every one of those things is a product of being with Jesus. If I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to want to do sinful things. If I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to quit because he never did. If I'm with Jesus, I'm going to be concerned about doctrine because doctrine reveals his heart and his character and all of the other ten things that we talked about all of those things happen by being with Jesus so talk to him hang out with him share your heart with him and you're going to find that it truly is Jesus that's all you need so those are the 10 things I shared with our church. I shared them in a much briefer manner with you. Um, but um, make a note of those. And then maybe throughout the year you can call and let us know how, how much God is blessing you in 2019. He wants to do it. He loves you with all of his heart. If we're with him where he is, we cannot help but get blessed. That is not to say that our lives are going to be easy, that everything is going to go the way we hoped it would or expected it would. It doesn't mean we're going to have all of our prayers answered. What it means is that his presence is more than enough. So I hope that encourages you and gets the new year started off on the right foot. Area code 210-340-9585 for your live calls, 340-9585. Here is a question that comes in from uh, our mobile app. This one is from Nacho. He says, what is the significance of the 45-day difference in Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12? Uh, Nacho, I love this question because I love Daniel's prophecy. Let me read the two verses and then we'll talk about it. Uh, This is the end of the book of Daniel. One of the most remarkable of all the books of prophecy. Verse 11 says, From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,200 
and 90 days. Now, before I go on, the abomination that causes desolation, we're talking way down to the end of time uh, during the Great Tribulation when the man that we know as the Antichrist uh, demands that in the Holy of Holies, in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, that Jews will worship him. That's his demand. And he sets up an image of himself. That's the abomination that causes desolation. Now, uh, verse 12 said, blessed or happy is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Now, the first part of it is simple and specific. When the Antichrist sets up an idol of himself, you can start counting the days. If you're still here, it's not because you weren't warned. You'll have 1,290 days until then everything is complete. But the next verse is a little more difficult. The book of Revelation specifically in two different places uses 1,260 days. Now that's exactly three and a half years using the Jewish calendar. Remember, in the Great Tribulation, everything will be, all the timetables will be based on the Jewish calendar. Uh, And uh, that three and a half years describes the ministry of the two witnesses uh, and for the an exact amount of time that Israel is going to be sheltered away from the attack of the Antichrist. So the question is, what about the next 30 days? Well, it's impossible to know for sure. But let me give you some thoughts and hope this will give you a little bit of direction, Nacho. We know for certain that Jesus returns in 1,260 days, half of the Great Tribulation. But I personally think that the next 30 days uh, is to take... Um, uh, Place for the, is, is where the great supper of God is going to be finished in Revelation chapter 19. Jesus said, I saw an angel, or John writes, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Now, obviously, the supper of the Lord, or the, the, the birds that are going to clean up the, the, the earth, That's going to happen after Jesus destroys all of his enemies. So now we've got the 35 days. That leaves the 45-day period of time, Nacho, that you asked for. And I'm only going to guess because we're not told, but it is likely that this is the time it takes for Jesus to set up his government, to recall Jews from all over the earth to get to Jerusalem, and also for the judgment of nations from Matthew chapter 25 to occur. Now, those are my opinions uh, that's all they are, but I think they're basically, uh, they're based on pretty solid study. Uh, but but beyond that opinion, we're not told at all what that last 45 days is for. But I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty convicted in my own heart and mind that that's the case. Um, remember the Jewish calendar is 360 days when you're setting up all those things. So Nacho, thanks for the question. I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. Ooh, I like this one. Uh, Pastor Ron, we talk about the role of the elderly in a church that is predominantly young. Uh, anonymous, I can. I don't know if you're the one of the young ones or you're one of the, the, the elderly, but if you're one of the elderly, man, you're in my world. Um, the kids need us. The kids so desperately need us. And I know there is a tendency in churches, I pray to God this isn't true of Calvary Chapel, but, but you know, I'm not objective about it, but um, churches are trying to get younger and younger and younger, and the music and the style and everything else sort of forces the elderly uh, away, make, making them feel at times like they're, they're outsiders. But I can't tell you strongly enough how much we need you. One of the difficult things about age gaps is that young people don't spend time going out of the way to talk to older people. Old people are often intimidated before they'll go up to a bunch of younger people and get involved in a group. One of the reasons serving is so important because you're going to be there with people from every age category. But we who are older, we need to get over ourselves we need to inject ourselves in the conversations of, of people younger. 
uh, sort of in a in a figurative sense adopt some of the younger people, uh, older women. Titus chapter two, older women ought to be looking for younger women who are struggling in their lives, and they can give them all kinds of wisdom. You you older ladies have lived through some of the things that these um, younger women are going through and think they're not going to survive. The same thing is true uh, of men. Um, a man who's been walking with God for 20, 30, 40, even 50 years, young people ought to be scrambling to sit at his feet. Just tell me about what God has done in your life. Tell me your testimony. Share with me the things that you've seen. And and the elderly can be a stabilizing force. I find it interesting, and I I don't have a solution for this, but a lot of times, many churches are financially supported by um, the older generation of people. And I'm talking anything from 50 on up. People that have had some success, people that have their lives pretty squared away. Um, and while we depend on their their money, we often do everything style-wise to push them away. And it just shouldn't be. We have a really good mix of people, not only in terms of age differences here at Calvert Chapel, but but um, racially, ethnically, uh, backgrounds. Um, we, we look at many United Nations here. And we would be so much poorer if it wasn't for the elderly 50 and up would be so much poor if we didn't have their wisdom and their stability. So I think, Anonymous, if you're the elderly, you need to get involved in other people's lives. Invite younger people, young couples. If you're married, invite a a young married couple. If somebody is a, a single younger man and you've got a marriage that honors the Lord, um, take him out to lunch. Spend some time. Get involved in not only service, but get involved in Bible studies with them as well. There's just a really, really valuable role that the elderly in any church has so much to offer. And if younger people are unwilling to accept them or to seek them out, they're the ones getting ripped off. So I hope that helps. You know, and I'll say this, this is kind of funny, but it's only funny because I know these people and love them and I know they love me. But I was looking just this past Sunday at our worship team on stage. Paula was singing and and um, um, the rest of the group, I think we have seven or eight people, what is it, five, six, seven, eight, eight people on stage. And, um, you know, I look at them and I think, well, they're all young. Paula looks young and and uh, I look at them all but but somebody else was looking at them and, and I thought well you know our lead guitar player has been playing guitar uh, on our worship team on Sundays for I don't know 12 years 15 years he's gotten 12 years he's he's gotten old with us I look at, at my worship pastor and his wife they were really young when they got here for the first time and uh, this was the first ministry where, where he was the worship leader. And uh, I've watched him now for all of these years. Um, they're aging as well. They're not kids. He, he just had his 46th birthday uh, yesterday, I think, or the day before. Sunday. On Sunday. And, um, um, you know, we're, we're not young on a stage anymore. But under his leadership, we have worship teams that are are very 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 young. Um, I asked uh, his son Matthew to 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 recruit and develop a worship team. Uh, at some point, younger people have to take over. But um, that's a role that an older person can have in the life of a younger person. So in ministry, any kind of ministry, there's so much you can do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I've forgotten how much time I got. I got three minutes. I can find a quick question. Um, 
Here's what I can do. Here's a question from Brenda. She says, how should Christians respond to people who use crude and foul language like at work? And like at work is it in parentheses. Um, Brenda, I'm assuming you're meaning unbelievers, but let me just throw this in. If as Christians we see other Christians using crude or foul language, we need to, in the most loving and direct way possible, get in their face. Oh, man, you can't be a Christian and talk like that. I'm not questioning your salvation, but that kind of conversation breaks Jesus' heart. So we have to be willing to make them uncomfortable. People who aren't saved, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. We're not prudes. Words aren't going to hurt us. We shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like believers. So what we do is we exchange holy conversation. We ask them questions to get involved. But don't expect them to behave as unbelievers. i got one thing I'll add, Brenda, when we come back, and then we'll go on to other questions. We got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program please forgive me for coughing my way off of the air this mountain cedar is killing us 340-9585 brenda the only thing i wanted to add is it when unbelievers take God's name in vain? I always say something. Wherever I am, it could be at the gym, it could be in a family celebration or anything else. I always say something. And I'm, I'm nice, I'm not aggressive, but just, you know, oh, I love Jesus so much. And you just took his name in vain. Please don't do that. Now, what I found, Brenda, is that that gives me a lot of opportunities to witness. And um, generally, not always, but generally, uh, the people respond and, and, and will say yes. But, but see, then you've taken a stand for the Lord. But, but the rest of the way the world talks, um, uh, I'm going over to the gym after the radio program to get ready for church tonight. And there will be um, three young guys there that are always in the locker room on Wednesdays and Fridays when I'm there the same time I am. And their language is the worst ever. And I, I just, I keep thinking, should I say some? Should I say some? Um, uh, but, but they avoid me kind of thing. And, and you know what? I, I don't expect them to, to speak like Christians are supposed to speak. They need to know the Lord. And my prayer is, Lord, give me the opportunity one day to be in a place where I can witness to them. Let's start with some phone calls this year. 340-9585. Brandon says, will there be a large-scale turning to Jesus by Jews before Jesus returns? Um, Because of your use of large-scale, Brandon, uh, I'm going to relegate this answer to only the time during the Great Tribulation, when there will be the greatest Jewish revival imaginable. Certainly greater than at any time in the world. You know, we we know that the Spirit of God is always at work. And for sure, there are Jews uh, who are getting saved. Um, However, um, it's sort of a remnant. You know, there's this concept of a remnant throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Um, There are lots of Jews, but there were very few, by, by definition, it's what a remnant is, who were following Jesus following the Lord, who are obeying the Lord, who served him with their whole heart. Um, so so there's always going to be God moving on the hearts of individuals. But in the Great Tribulation, led by the ministry of the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, um, sort of under the direction of the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are going to be turned loose on this entire earth, Imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls roaming the earth. 
add to that that they're invincible, they're marked and sealed by God and protected. And they are going to be more effective and there is going to be a, a huge revival. Uh, I think both Gentile and Jew for sure. But uh, from Zechariah, we even get uh, sort of a, a, I think it's an about number of, of Jews that are going to be saved. Uh, one third of Jews on earth, one third of the Jews in, a, in, in Israel are going to get saved. Two thirds of them are going to continue in unbelief. There's nothing that can be done about that. But imagine one third of all the Jews in the world are going to give their life to Jesus. I'd say that's a large scale turning to Jesus by Jews. The only thing is, Brandon, that's not going to happen until the Great Tribulation. Um, and you and I, of course, we will be with Jesus during that time. So we, we don't have to worry about that. Let's go to Daniel on line one. Daniel, the first caller of 2019. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was just going to ask you a question. Uh, in the in the book of John, uh, John said about Jesus that that uh, he takes away the sin of the world. What is the sin of the world? And I think your answer over the radio. Okay, thank you, uh, Daniel. The sin of the world is just the, the sinful condition of being separated from God by our sin. So it's all the sin. You know, when Jesus um, offers salvation to everybody in the world, um, his death is efficient uh, for, for for all the sin. However, it's only efficacious, and I don't use those words to try and make me sound smart, but, but the distinction is uh, his gift of life is only available to those who receive the free gift of life. But but his his death, his, his sacrifice is effective, efficient for all of the world. We just have to receive it. So when he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, um, John the Baptist is looking sort of down the corridor of time and space say, there's the one, there's the one that we've been waiting for. So that's it is. It's, it's any and all sin which, of course, separates us from God. You know, Daniel, one of the things that um, um, always helped me to understand it is this illustration of, of thinking of as sin as the color blue, any kind of blue. You know, my sin before I got saved was really dark, dark blue because I sinned so much. Um, other people are just really nice people, and comparatively, their sins are really minor. Maybe their sin is, is a really light, beautiful blue. But when we get to heaven, if there's a sign that says no blue in heaven, it doesn't matter what shade the blue, there's no blue in heaven. Jesus takes away all the blue. And since sin is, in this example, blue, Jesus says, I take it all away from you. So behold the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I hope that helps. 340-9585, Cindy writes in, and she says, uh, I have a family member with dementia and Alzheimer's. If I have them repeat the prayer of salvation, would that take, even if they don't remember doing it after a few hours um, later or even the next day? Cindy, uh, I'm so sorry for you. This is, is one of the most difficult things imaginable. Um, to watch somebody that you love go through this kind of pain, um, it, it's it's heartbreaking, and that's an understatement. Um, here's what I know: we share the gospel. Uh, no matter what condition somebody's in, the gospel itself contains the good news, the power of God unto salvation. And of course, God is going to make allowances for their condition. Now, if somebody lived an entire life um, as an enemy of God and Alzheimer's comes along, it may be, uh, you know, God obviously knew that this was going to happen. Um, what we want to do is look for moments of lucidity. We want to, to look for opportunities to share and to talk. And here's what I can tell you for sure. It's not the sinner's prayer that saves them. 
but it's their response to the good news about Jesus Christ. So when you find your family members uh, in this condition, and you find them in a moment where they can carry on a conversation with them, of course you want to tell them about Jesus. It doesn't matter at all if they don't remember it a few hours later or the next day. What's really important is that they have an opportunity to hear, and if when they hear, they make a decision. Again, it's not a push to get them to repeat a prayer. It's simply saying, Jesus, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's all they need to do. And if they do that in that moment of of being cogent um, and, and they do it of sincerity of heart, of course God is going to forgive them because that's what they do. We're not accountable to God for the things that we do that we don't understand, the things that we don't know. The only thing we're accountable to God for is to say yes when we do understand, confess our sins when we know we're guilty, and ask for forgiveness because He alone has the ability to forgive us. So Cindy, I hope that helps and continue to pray for them always. Uh, I've had a lot of um, experience with people with Alzheimer's and dementia, and the enemy is relentless in his attacks on them. Remember that. That's why we need to pray. Let's go to line one in San Antonio now and talk with Jackie. Jackie, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. I was I wanted to ask you a question about death and resurrection. And I remember when I was little, they uh, I'd go to church and they'd give you little Bible cutouts and you know coloring books about, and they would show how people would be raised from the grave. And as I got older, you know, I understand that, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. So this may sound like a silly question, but what have, what happens to the body? Because we're given a new body in Christ. Yes. And then I think I found the answer a little bit, maybe not, because when I was reading it, it said those who are dead in Christ will be resurrected. Um, so does that mean people who are non-believers? Um, and so I'm a little confused. And so I'll hang okay. up and um, listen off, off the air. Thank you, Jackie. I can do that. You know, uh-huh. nobody, nobody, nobody trades in an old used car, gets a new car, and then goes back and wants the old car again. You know, old cars have problems. Well, the same thing is true with our body. Now, let me answer the last question first. Uh, everybody is going to be resurrected. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the dead unto spiritual death. The first resurrection, Jackie, you and I are believers. We, we've already got our, our reservation for the first resurrection. Uh, but the second resurrection, because we are born eternal, when, when it says that we're created in the image of God, uh, the, the, the primary understanding there is that we're going to live somewhere forever. From the moment we are created, uh, we're born, uh, we live forever somewhere. So we're all going to be resurrected but the resurrection of the dead, which comes um, at, the, at the great white throne judgment where the lake of fire will then be, be uh, populated, um, that's a resurrection unto death. The first resurrection, of course, is the resurrection of the blessed, the resurrection of the living. And that's, that's what we're, we're, of course, hopeful for, for everybody that we're praying for. Now, about our resurrection, we need no old body in heaven. I think we look at it in, in too much of a linear way, Jackie. I, I, I don't think our physical bodies were ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, if we're cremated, it takes, um, you know, uh, 30 minutes. Uh, if, if we are put in the ground, it takes 30 years. But we disintegrate, and, and ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from dust you came to dust you will return. Um, so, so it's not those bodies that are going to be resurrected. When we take our last breath in this old body, we're immediately going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what it means to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Luke chapter 16, we're told that, that the angels come and carry us away into the presence of the Lord. And in order to be in heaven, 
Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15 the glorious resurrected body. It's a physical body. It's a real body like Jesus' body was real when he was risen from the dead. Well, when we're risen from the dead, our body is going to be like his body. John says, well, we don't know what that will be, but here's what we know for sure. We'll be like he is and, and we'll be in the presence of the Lord, not, not some disjointed spirit, but we'll be there in our physical glorified resurrected bodies. I think because of the wording of the um, uh, passages in First Thessalonians, you know, uh, um, the dead in Christ will be raised first. We have a picture of the graves being opened and, and all of our remains being put back together somehow. Um, but, but that would require that we're in heaven without any body at all. And there's no inkling that that could possibly be true. So Jackie, what we're going to do is we're going to leave this body. The angel is going to be there wherever it is we die. I've actually been uh, not that I've seen the angels, I don't want to be misunderstood, but I've had the honor of being with people in in that moment when they go to be with Jesus. And it's one of those things that's such a privilege. Um, there's usually a sense of release, there's a relief, there's, there's usually a, a smile. Um, sometimes there's expressions. Uh, my pastor, when he died, uh, of course, I wasn't there, but, but when he died, um, the, the moment the angel came into the room to get him, and this is a man who wanted to see Jesus as much or more than anybody I've ever known, um, but, but the people that were there, there were three of them, and the people were there in that room said that he, he went, all right, and had a big smile on his face, and then was gone. He saw the angel. I have similar stories where people would say things like, unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, that's when the angel takes him. And from here to heaven, trip takes a nanosecond with an angel. But from here to heaven, our bodies are exchanged. The incorruptible can inherit, or I'm sorry, the corrupted can inherit the, the incorruption. So, um, Jackie, I hope that helps. I think with all of my heart that that moment we stay, we, we, we leave this body and go to be with Jesus, we gain our new bodies right then and there. Great, great, great question. Here is a question from our mobile app from Scott. Uh, since I've heard you say adamantly to stay off Facebook, do you have any comment about Franklin Graham's use of Facebook, especially after he was temporarily banned, temporarily banned for one of his opinions? Um, Scott, I know Franklin just a little bit. Uh, we're not best buds or anything, but I know him just a little bit. And I can promise you that if he was here with me, I would say, Franklin, stay off Facebook. Now, remember, his is a parachurch organization, and they need all of the social media um, um, content they can because they're 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 witnessing they're trying to raise money um, um, especially when there are terrible things that happen and Samaritan's Purse goes into action they're a wonderful organization um, uh, you know that's how they recruit and those kind of things so so um, I would tell him he doesn't need that um, he would probably just laugh at me and say, oh, I know you always say that. But but the, the idea is, uh, when I'm talking about staying off Facebook, what I'm talking about is that destructive junk that so many Christians get trapped in. The political arguments, the name-calling, the, the, the debating with, with unbelievers, the gossip. Oh, my goodness, the gossip that goes. And, and you know, it's, it's we're so bold behind the keyboard. There, there just isn't a single positive thing that I've ever experienced from Facebook at all. Um, if I was trying to raise money or if I was trying to increase um, my presence in social media, if I was trying to build the kingdom of Ron, uh, then I would probably be on Facebook and every other social media platform. But, but you know what? I think one of the things, and this is Franklin's heart, really, um, Again, we, we, we all get trapped sometimes, but um, 
Franklin wants to serve God. He wants to honor God. I just think he's convinced sometimes that God needs our help. I think I think that's a lot of the reason that people are on social media platforms. I actually had a pastor friend of mine, Scott, say to me that uh, he said, you know, in my church, I require that all of my staff is on social media, tweeting and on Facebook and on the available platforms. And I said, well, why would you do that? He goes, because that's exposure. I don't think God needs our help. Uh, if he was banned, if Franklin was banned, as you say he was, it was probably um, for something political he said, or or maybe he was bold enough to say that Jesus was the only way and the people behind, the powers behind uh, Facebook decided that, that that was intolerant. I don't know, but I would tell Franklin Graham and everybody else to stay off Facebook, stay on the Bible, and talk to people face-to-face. You know, Scott, and this isn't the question you asked, but I had this discussion with somebody who asked the question earlier today. I'm afraid, I'm really, really afraid that we have a generation of people who are unable to communicate face-to-face with one another. We've taken a personal touch out of it. And when you lose the ability or the willingness to communicate with people face-to-face, you lose the power of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm not going to change the world. I'm not a Luddite. If I had the power to do one thing just one thing that I think would help an entire generation of people, those of us who are born and raised in this computer age, the information age, I'd make it impossible to go on Facebook. I'd make people talk to people and share the love of Christ. I'd make them hug them and help them. Even those who claim to be sharing on Facebook are trying to serve without any cost. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is required. Being stretched out of our comfort zone is required. And I imagine that if everybody who wrote, in fact, let me just challenge people. Go back and look at the things that you wrote. Not what people said to you. Don't, don't justify why you wrote it. But try to explain some of the things you've written, some of the things you've said about other people, believer or unbeliever. Bad things you've said maybe about your church or your pastor. The conversations about other people's behavior. Honestly, ask yourself, how would you explain that to Jesus? So, Franklin Graham is a, is a good man. But he needs to stay on Facebook. <laughs> uh, we've got four minutes left in the program. Let me see what I can get here. Here's a question from Chick. He says, do animals have souls? And will they be in heaven? Uh, Chick, the answer is no. Animals don't have souls. That means they won't be in heaven. Only man is created in the image of God. And it cracks me up. I, I have a quasi-friend who is always telling people that his pets are going to be in heaven when he gets there. I know it because God loves me and he knows I couldn't be happy without my pets. Can you imagine explaining to Jesus why we would think that heaven being in his presence isn't enough that we're going to need anything in heaven? Check the animals and I've said this before, I'm a dog person not a cat person but Paula had a dog for 15 years, the greatest dog ever. And he was God's gift to me and to Paula. And we enjoyed him. And God used that dog to teach us, as strange as this is going to sound, he used that dog to teach us how to be a pastor and a pastor's wife, how to love people unconditionally, and how to care for those who couldn't care for themselves. As he aged, We're carting this 125-pound dog up and down the stairs, carrying him in a a big comforter. 
He'd go to the bathroom. I'd have to hold his legs up while he'd go to the bathroom, and Paula would wipe his rear end and take fleas off him one at a time when she got him back in the in in the, in the house. And God did a lot to teach us what real love and care was. He was God's gift to us. We don't need any more than that. And the the thought, just the thought that heaven is incomplete without my dog is, I think, bordering on blasphemy. Heaven is going to be so great. There's nothing on earth, no matter how wonderful it is, that comes even close to comparing to the infinite glory that we're going to experience in heaven. So no, animals don't have souls. God loved us so much, he gave us these wonderful gifts. We enjoy them, we miss them, but we praise God for them. But to look at God as though we might be missing something, if my pet's not in heaven, I think is a really, really, really dangerous line to cross. If we're not honest about that, do we really trust the Lord? So, Chick, that's the best I can do. We are just about out of time for today. Remember that tonight I'm going to be beginning a brand new study in the prophecy of Isaiah. Um, it starts here at 7 o'clock tonight. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Uh, Paula will be live in studio with me on the first date day edition of the show tomorrow. That is, if we can remember it's Thursday. And we can't wait to spend that time with you tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.